Hey guys, welcome back to the Japan Archives, episode 46. We're a little small podcast where we delve into the histories, the myths, and the different legends of Japanese history. I'm your host, Thomas. I'm your co-host, Heather. And how are we doing this week? Well, there was a lot, a lot of rain in Western Japan, and we're fine here, but there was definitely a, a lot of a lot of damage and some some loss of lives, um, kind of more to our west. So it's been a it's been a a long week but Mm. we're doing fine here everyone was okay uh how about you guys we've had rain as well but no flooding which has been good school wise we're still busy this week was the first tests for the kids normally we get a five-day break but because of corona all school breaks have been taken away so we're back to a normal day tomorrow for forever it seems for for this time at least mm-hmm. special circumstances. right now yes so we'll see how it goes in the long run but anyway today's episode like we said i wanted to do the peony lantern it's summer so we want to tell a ghost story so you'll have a little shiver and cool yourself down as is the japanese belief i'm gonna do what i normally do and ask you heather do you already know this story have you read it before or you told me about it and I decided not to look it up because I I wanted to hear it for the first time. So I've heard of it, but I don't know the actual story. Okay. So this tale then in the original Japanese is known as Botan Doro, which we will call in English the Peony Lantern. Uh, Normally I would take these tales, read through, change a few bits, update it per se. But this time around i wanted to read the original translation of the story done by lafcadio hearn we've talked about him before he's one of the original guys who brought a lot of the supernatural and the folkloric tales to england and had them translated so i managed to get a hold of his translation of the peony lantern so that's the version i want to read for you today so if you are ready i have assumed the proper ghost story position and what is that? So the listeners can also join in this position. I'm sitting up straight and tall in my chair with just enough lean to get into the story. But but not uh, so much that I will bop my head back if I you know jump in fright. So kind of keeping my head away from the wall. Okay. There once lived in the district of Ushigome in Edo, a Hatamoto called Ijima Heizayemon. Now a Hatamoto was a type of samurai. And Ijima had a, lo- a single daughter known as Suyu. Ijima took for himself a second wife when his daughter was about 16 years old. And finding that Suyu could not be happy with her new mother-in-law, he had a pretty villa built for the girl at Yanagijima as a separate residence and gave her an excellent maidservant called Yone to wait upon her. Suyu lived happily enough in her new home until one day when the family physician, Yamamoto Shinjo, paid her a visit in the company with a young samurai named Hagiwara Shinzaburo. Shinzaburo was an unusually handsome lad and very gentle, and the two young people fell in love with each other at sight. Even before the brief visit was over, they contrived, unheard by the old doctor, to pledge themselves to each other for life. And at their parting, Suyu whispered to the youth, Remember... If you do not to come see me again, I shall certainly die. Shinzaburu, it is said, never forgot those words, and he was only too eager to see more of Suyu, but etiquette forbade him to make the visit alone. He was obliged to wait for some other chance to accompany the doctor, who had promised to take him to the villa a second time. Unfortunately, the old man did not keep this promise. He had perceived the sudden affection of Suyu, and he feared that her father would hold him responsible for any serious results. Ijima had a reputation for cutting off people's heads, it seemed. And the more Shijo thought about the possible consequences of his introduction of Shinzaburu to the Ijima villa, the more he became afraid. Therefore, he purposely abstained from calling upon his young friend. And so months and months passed. And Suyu, little imagining the true cause of Shinzaburu's neglect, believed that her love had been scorned. And so, she pined away until she ultimately died. Soon afterwards, the faithful servant Yone also died through grief at the loss of her mistress. And the two were buried side by side in the cemetery of Shinbaizui-in, 
a temple which still stands in the neighborhood of Dangozaka, where the famous chrysanthemum shows are yearly held. Shinzaburu knew nothing of what had happened, but his disappointment and his anxiety had resulted in a prolonged illness. Fortunately, though, he was now slowly recovering, but he was still very weak. When he unexpectedly received another visit from Yamamoto Shijo, the old man made a number of plausible excuses for his parent neglect. Shinzaburu said to him, I have been sick ever since the beginning of spring. Even now I cannot eat anything. Was it not rather unkind of you never to call? I thought that we were to make another visit together to the house of the Lady Ijima, and I wanted to take her some little present as a return for our kind reception. Of course, I could not go by myself. And so the Dr. Shijo gravely responded, I'm very sorry to tell you that Suyu has died. Dead? repeated Shinzaburu, turning white. Did you say that she is dead? The doctor remained silent for a moment, as if collecting himself. Then he resumed in the quick, light tone of a man resolved not to take trouble seriously. My great mistake was in having introduced you to her, for it seems that she fell in love with you at once. I am afraid that you must have said something to encourage this affection when you were in that little room together. At all events, I saw how she felt towards you, and then I became uneasy, fearing that her father might come here of the matter and lay the whole blame upon me. So, if I am to be frank with you, I decided it would be better not to call upon you, and I purposely stayed away for a long, long time. But only a few days ago, happening to visit Ijima's house, I heard to my great surprise that his daughter had died and that her servant Yone had also died. Then remembering all that had taken place, I knew that the young lady must have died of love for you. Ah, you are really a sinful fellow. Yes, you are. Isn't it a sin to have been born so handsome that the girls die of love for you? Well, we must leave the dead to the dead. It is of no use talking further about this matter. All that you now can do for her is to repeat the Nembutsu goodbye. And the old man retired hastily, anxious to avoid further converse about the painful event for which he had felt himself to have been unwittingly responsible. Now Shinzaburu long remained stupefied by the grief of the news of Tsuyu's death, but as soon as he found himself able to think clearly once more, he inscribed the dead girl name upon a mortuary tablet, and placed the tablet in a Buddhist shrine inside his home, and from that every day he would recite prayers and give offerings to it. Every day thereafter, he presented even more offerings, and the memory of Suyu was never absent from his mind. Nothing occurred to change the monotony of his solitude before the time of Bon, the great festival of the dead, which begins upon the 13th day of the 7th month. Then he decorated his house and prepared everything for the festival to come, hanging out the lanterns that guide the returning spirits and setting the food of ghosts on the shelf of souls. And on the first evening of Obon, after sundown, he kindled a small lamp before the tablet of Suyu and lighted the lanterns. The night was clear, the moon was great, and it was a windless and warm night. Shinzaburo sought the coolness of his veranda, clad only in a light summer robe. He sat there thinking, dreaming, and sorrowing, sometimes fanning himself, sometimes making a little smoke to drive the mosquitoes away. Everything that night was quiet. It was a lonesome neighborhood, and there were very few passers-by. He could hear only the soft rushing of the neighboring stream and the shrilling of night insects. But all at once the stillness was broken by the sound of a woman's geta approaching, and the sound drew closer and closer, quickly, till it reached the live hedge surrounding his garden. Then Shinzaburu, feeling curious, stood on tiptoe, so as to look over his hedge, and he saw two women passing, one who was carrying a beautiful lantern decorated with peony flowers, appearing to be a servant. The other was a slender girl of about seventeen, wearing a long sleeve robe embroidered with designs of autumn blossom. Almost at the same time, both turned to face Shinzaburu, and to his utter astonishment, he recognized Suyu as well as her servant Yone. They stopped immediately, and the girl cried out, Oh, how strange, Hagiwara-sama! 
Shinzaburu simultaneously called to the maid, Yone, ah, you are the Yone, I remember you very well. Hagiwara-sama, exclaimed Yone in a tone of supreme amazement. Never could I have believed it possible, sir. We were told that you had died. How extraordinary, cried Shinzaburu. Why, I was told that the both of you were in fact dead. Ah, what a hateful story, returned Yone. Why repeat such unlucky words? Who told you this? Please come in, said Shinzaburo. Here we can talk better. The garden gate is open. And so they all entered, and they exchanged greetings. And when Shinzaburo had made everything comfortable, he said, I trust that you will pardon my discourtesy in not having called upon you for so long. But your doctor Shijo, about a month ago, told me that you had both died. So it was he that told you, exclaimed Yone. It was very wicked of him to say such a thing. Well, it was also Shijo who told us that you were dead. I think that he wanted to deceive you, which was not a difficult thing to do, because you are so confiding and so trustful. Possibly my mistress betrayed her liking for you in some words which found their way to her father's ears, and in that case they might have planned to get the doctor to tell you that you were dead so as to bring about an immediate separation. Anyhow, when my mistress heard that you had died, she wanted to cut off her hair immediately and become a nun, but I was able to prevent her from cutting it, and I persuaded her at last to become a nun only in her heart. Afterwards her father wished her to marry a certain young man, and she refused. Then there was a great deal of trouble, chiefly caused by Okuni, his second wife. And we went away from the villa and found a very small house in Yanaka no Sasaki. There we are now, just barely able to live by doing a little private work. My mistress has been constantly repeating her prayers for your sake. Today, being the first day of Obon, we went to visit the temples and we were on our way home this late when this strange meeting happened to occur. Oh, how extraordinary, cried Shinzaburo. Can it be true, or is this only a dream? Here, I too have been constantly reciting the prayers before a tablet with her name upon it. Look! And he showed them Suyu's tablet in its place upon the shelf of souls. We are more than grateful for your kind remembrance, returned Oyone, smiling. Now, as for my mistress, she continued, turning towards Suyu, who had all the while remained demure and silent, half hiding her face with her sleeve. As for my mistress, she actually says that she would not mind being disowned by her father or even being killed by him for your sake. Come, will you not allow her to stay here tonight? Shinzaburo turned pale for joy. He answered in a voice trembling with emotion. Please remain, but do not speak loud, because there is a troublesome fellow living close by who tells people's fortunes by looking at their faces. He is inclined to be curious, and it is better that he should not know. And so the two women remained that night in the house with the young samurai, and returned to their own home a little before daybreak. And after that night, they came every night, for seven nights, whether the weather was foul or fair, and they always came at the same hour. And Shinzaburo became more and more attached to this girl, and the twain were fettered each to each, by that bond of illusion which is stronger than bands of iron. Now there was a man called Tomozo, who lived in a small cottage adjoining Shinzaburo's residence. Tomozo and his wife Mine were both employed by Shinzaburo as servants. Both seemed to be devoted to their young master, and by his help they were able to live in comparative comfort. One night, at a very late hour, Tomozo heard the voice of a woman in his master's apartment, and this made him uneasy. He feared that Shinzaburo, being very gentle and affectionate, might be made the dupe of some cunning wanton, in which event the domestics would be the first to suffer. He therefore resolved to watch, and on the following night he stole on tiptoe to Shinzaburo's dwelling, and looked through a chink in one of the sliding shutters. By the glow of a lantern within the sleeping room, he was able to perceive that his master and a strange woman were talking together underneath a mosquito net. At first, he could not see the woman distinctly. Her back was turned to him. He only observed that she was very slim, and that she appeared to be very young, 
judging from the fashion of her hair and dress. Putting his ears to the chink, he could hear the conversation plainly, as the woman said, and if I should be disowned by my father, would you then let me come and live with you? Shinzaburo answered in kind, most assuredly I would, nay, I should be glad of the chance, but there is no reason to fear that you will ever be disowned by your father, for you are his only daughter, and he loves you very much. What I do fear is that some day we shall be cruelly separated. She responded softly to him. Never, never could I even think of accepting any other man for my husband. Even if our secret were to become known, and my father were to kill me for what I have done, still, after death itself, I could never cease to think of you, and I am now quite sure that you yourself would not be able to live very long without me. Then clinging closely to him, with her lips at his neck, she caressed him, and he returned her caresses. Tomozo wondered as he listened, because the language that the woman was using was not the language of a common woman, but the language of a lady of rank. Then determined to get one glimpse of her face, he crept around the house backwards and forwards, peering through every crack and chink, and at last he was able to see. But therewith an icy trembling seethed him, and the hair on his head stood up on end. For the face was the face of a woman long dead, and the fingers caressing were fingers of naked bone. And the body below the waist, there was not anything. It melted off to the thinnest trailing shadow. Where the eyes of the lover deluded saw youth and grace and beauty, there appeared to be the eyes of the watcher horror only, and the emptiness of death. Simultaneously another woman's figure rose up from within the chamber, and swiftly made towards the watcher, as if discerning his presence. Then in utmost terror, he fled to the dwelling of Hakuodo Yusai, and knocking frantically on the doors, succeeded in rousing him. Now Hakuodai was the man who could look at people's faces and read their fortune. And over his time, he had heard and seen so many things that he could not easily be surprised. Yet the story of the terrified Tomozo both alarmed and amazed him. He had read in ancient Chinese books of love between the living and the dead, but he had never believed it possible. Now, however, he felt convinced that the statement of Tomozo was not a falsehood, and that something very strange was really going on in the house of Hagiwara. Should the truth prove to be what Tomozo imagined, then the young samurai was a doomed man. If the woman be a ghost, said Yusai to the frightened servant, if the woman be a ghost, your master must die very soon, unless something extraordinary can be done to save him. And if the woman be a ghost, the signs of death will appear upon his face, for the spirit of the living is pure, and the spirit of the dead is unclean. One is positive and one is negative. He whose bride is a ghost cannot live. Even though in his blood there existed the force of a life of 100 years, that force must quickly perish. Still, I shall do all that I can to save Hagiwara-sama. In the meantime, Tomozo, say nothing to anyone else, not even to your wife about this matter. At sunrise, I shall call upon your master. When questioned next morning by Yusai, Shinzaburo at first attempted to deny that any woman had been visiting the house, but finding this artless policy of no avail, and perceiving that the old man's purpose was altogether unselfish, he was finally persuaded to acknowledge what had really occurred, and to give his reasons for wishing to keep the record a secret. As for the Lady Ijima, he intended, he said, to make her his wife as soon as possible. Oh madness, cried Yusai, losing all patience in the intensity of this alarm. Know, sir, that the people who have been coming here night after night are the dead. Some frightful delusion is upon you. Why, the simple fact that you long supposed Suyu to be dead, and the rep repeated nembutsu for her, and repeated offerings before her tablet, is that not proof itself? The lips of the dead have touched you, the hands of the dead have caressed you. Even at this moment I see in your face the signs of death, and you will not believe me. Listen to me now, sir, I beg of you, if you wish to save yourself. Otherwise you have less than twenty days to live. They told you, those people, that you were residing in the district of Shitaya, in Yanaka no Sasaki, did you ever visit their home? No, of course you did not. Then go today, as soon as you can. Try and find their home. 
and having uttered this counsel with the utmost vehement earnestness, Yusai abruptly took his departure. Shinzaburu, startled though not convinced, resolved after a moment's reflection to follow the advice of this man and go himself to Shitaya. It was yet early in the morning when he reached the quarter and began his search for the dwelling of Suyu. He went through every street and every side street, read all the names inscribed on the various entrances and made inquiries whenever an opportunity presented itself. But he could not find anything resembling the little house mentioned by Yone and none of the people whom he questioned knew anything of a house in this quarter inhabited by two single women. Feeling at last certain that further research would be useless, he returned homeward by the shortest way, which happened to lead through the grounds of the temple of Shin Baizuin. Suddenly his attention was attracted by two new tombs there, placed side by side at the rear of the temple. One was a common tomb, such as might have been erected for a person of humble rank. The other was a large and handsome monument, and hanging before it was a beautiful peony lantern, which had probably been left there at the time of the Festival of the Dead. Shinzaburo remembered that the peony lantern carried by Yone was exactly similar, and the coincidence impressed him as quite strange. He looked again at the tombs, but the tombs explained nothing. Neither bore any personal name. Then he determined to seek information at the temple. An acolyte stated in reply to his question that the large tomb had recently been erected for the daughter of Ijima Heizayemon, and that the small tomb next to it was that of her servant Yone. Immediately to Shinzaburu's memory there reoccurred, with another and sinister meaning, the words of Yone. We went away and found a very small house. There we are now just barely able to live by doing a little private work. Here now before him was indeed this very small house. But what was this little private work? Terror stricken, the samurai hastened with all speed to the house of Yusai and begged for his counsel and assistance but Yusai declared himself unable to be of any aid in this case. All that he could do was send Shinzaburo to the high priest Ryoseki of Shinbaizuin with a letter praying for immediate religious help. This high priest was a learned and holy man. By spiritual vision, he was able to know the secret of any sorrow and the nature of the karma that had caused it. He heard and moved the story of Shinzaburo, and he said to him, A great danger now threatens you because of an error committed in one of your former states of existence. The karma that binds you to the dead is very strong, but if I tried to explain its character, you would not be able to understand. I shall therefore tell you only this, that the dead person has no desire to injure you out of hate, feels no enmity towards you. She is influenced, on the contrary, by the most passionate affection for you. Probably the girl has been in love with you from a time long preceding your present life, from a time of not less than three or four past existences. And it would seem that, although necessarily changing her form and condition at each succeeding birth, she was not able to cease from following after you. Therefore, it will not be an easy thing to escape from her influence, but now I am going to lend you this powerful mamori. It is a pure gold image of that Buddha called the sea-sounding Tathagata. Because his preaching of the law sounds through the world like the sound of the sea, and this little image, which protects the living from the dead, this you must wear in its covering, next to your body, underneath the girdle. Besides, I shall presently perform in the temple a Segaki service, for the repose of the troubled spirit. And here is a holy sutra, called the Treasure Reigning Sutra. You must be careful to recite it every night in your house without fail. Furthermore, I shall give you a package of Ofuda. You must paste one of them over every opening on your house, no matter how small. If you do this, the power of the holy text will prevent the dead from entering. But whatever may happen, do not fail to recite the sutra. So Shinzaburu humbly thanked the high priest, and then taking with him the image, the sutra, and the bundle of sacred texts, he made all haste to reach his home before the hour of sunset. With Yusai's advice and help, Shinzaburu was able before dark, to fix the holy texts all over the apertures of his dwelling. And then the Ninsomi returned to his own home, leaving the youth to himself. Night came warm and clear. Shinzaburo made fast the doors, bound the precious amulet about his waist, entered his mosquito net, and by the glow of a night lantern, began to recite the Ubo Darini Kyo, 
For a long time he chanted the words, comprehending little of their meaning, and he tried to obtain some rest. But his mind was still too much disturbed by the strange events of the day. Midnight passed and no sleep came to him. At last he heard the boom of the great temple bell of Dentsuin announcing the eighth hour. The bell ceased, and Shinzaburo suddenly heard the sound of Geita approaching from the old direction. But this time they came more slowly. At once a cold sweat broke over his forehead. Opening the sutra hastily with a trembling hand, he began again to recite it aloud. The steps came nearer and nearer, reaching the live hedge, stopped. Then, strange to say, Shinzaburu felt unable to remain under the mosquito net. Something stronger even than his fear impelled him to look, and instead of continuing his recitations, he foolishly approached the shutters, and through a chink peered out into the night. Before the house he saw Suyu standing, and Yone holding the peony lantern, and both of them were gazing at the Buddhist text pasted upon the entrance. Never before, not even in their time alive, had Suyu appeared so beautiful, and Shinzaburu felt his heart drawn towards her with a power almost resistless. But the terror of death and the terror of the unknown restrained him. Presently he heard the voice of the maidservant saying, My dear mistress, there is no way to enter. The heart of Hagiwara-sama must have changed, for the promise that he made last night has been broken, and the doors must have been made fast to keep us out. We cannot go in tonight. It will be wiser for you to make up your mind not to think any more about him, because his feelings towards you have certainly changed. It is evident that he does not want to see you, so it will be better not to give yourself any more trouble for the sake of a man whose heart is so unkind. But the girl answered weeping, Oh, to think that this could happen after the pledges which we made to each other. Often I was told that the heart of a man changes as quickly as the sky of autumn, yet surely the heart of Hagiwara-sama cannot be so cruel that he should really intend to exclude me this way. Dear Yone, please find some means of taking me to him. Unless you do, I will never, never go home. Thus she continued to plead, veiling her face with her long sleeves, and very beautiful she looked, and very touching, but the fear of death was strong upon her lover. Yone at last made answer, My dear young lady, why will you trouble your mind about a man who seems to be so cruel? Well, let us see if there is be no way to enter at the back of the house. Come with me. And taking Suyu by the hand, she led her away toward the rear of the dwelling. And there the two disappeared as suddenly as the light disappears when a flame of a lamp is blown out. Night after night the shadows came at the hour of the ox. And nightly Shinzaburo heard the weeping of Suyu, yet he believed himself saved little imagining that his doom had already been decided by the character of his dependents. Tomozo had promised Yusai never to speak to any other person, not even to his wife of these strange events, but Tomozo was not long suffered by the haunters to rest in peace. Night after night Yone entered into his dwelling and aroused him from sleep and asked him to remove the ofuda placed over one very small window at the back of his master's home. And Tomose, out of fear, promised to take it away before the next sundown. But never by day could he make up his mind to remove it, believing that evil was intended to Shinzaburo. At last, in the night of storm, Yone startled him from slumber with a cry of reproach, and stooped above his pillow and said to him, Have a care how you trifle with us. If by tomorrow night you do not take away that text, you shall learn how I can hate and she made her face so frightful as she spoke that Tomoze nearly died of terror. His wife, Mine, still did not know of these visits, but on this particular night, it chanced that waking suddenly, she heard the voice of a woman talking to Tomozo. Almost in the same moment, the talking ceased, and when Mine looked about her, she saw by the light of a night lamp, only her husband shuddering and white with fear. The stranger was gone, the doors were fast, it seemed impossible that anybody could have entered. Nevertheless, the jealousy of the wife had been aroused, and she began to chide and to question Tomozo in such a manner 
that he thought himself obliged to betray the secret and to explain the terrible dilemma in which he had been placed. Then the passion of his wife yielded to wonder and alarm. But she was a subtle woman, and she devised immediately a plan to save her husband by the sacrifice of her master. And she gave Tomozo a cunning counsel, telling him to make conditions to the dead. Then came again on the following night at the hour of the ox, and Mine hid herself on hearing the sound of their coming. But Tomozo went out to meet them in the dark, and even found courage to say to them what his wife had told him to say. It is true that I deserve your blame, but I had no wish to cause you anger. The reason that the Ofuda has not been taken away is that my wife and I are able to live only by the help of Hagiwara-sama, and that we cannot expose him to any danger without bringing misfortune upon ourselves. But if we could obtain the sum of a hundred ryo in gold, we should be able to please you, because we should then need no help from anybody. Therefore, if you will give us this money, I can take the Ofuda away, without being afraid of losing our only means of support. When he had uttered those words, Yone and Suyu looked at each other in silence for a moment. Then Yone replied, Mistress, I told you that it is not right to trouble this man, as we have no just cause of ill will against him, but it is certainly useless to fret yourself about Hagiwara-sama, because his heart has changed towards you. Now once again, my dear young lady, let me beg you not to think any more about him. But Suyu, weeping, made answer, Dear Yone, whatever may happen, I cannot possibly keep myself from thinking about him. You know that you can get a hundred ryo to have the Ofuda taken off. Only once more, I pray, dear Yone, only once more bring me face to face with Hagiwara-sama, I beseech you. I'm hiding her face with her sleeve, she thus continued to plead. Oh, why will you ask me to do these things, replied Yone. You know very well that I have no money. But since you still persist in this whim of yours, in spite of all that I can say, I suppose that I must try to find the money somehow, and bring it here tomorrow night. Then turning to the faithless Tomozo, she said, Tomozo, I must tell you that Hagiwara-sama now wears upon his body a mamori. As long as he wears it, we cannot approach him. You will have to get that mamori away from him, by some means or other, as well as removing these ofuda. Tomozo feebly made answer, that also I can do, if you will promise to bring me the hundred ryo. Well, mistress, said Yone, you will wait until tomorrow night. Oh, dear Yone, sobbed the other, I have to go yet one more night without seeing Hagiwara-sama. Ah, it is so cruel. And the shadow of the mistress weeping was led away by the shadow of the maid. So another day went by, and another night came, and the dead came with it. But this time no lamentation was heard with the house of Hagiwara, for the faithless servant found his reward at the hour of the ox, and so he removed the Ofuda. Moreover, he had been able, while his master was at the bath, to steal from its case the golden mamori, and to substitute it for an image of copper. So the visitants found nothing to oppose their entering. Veiling their faces with their sleeves, they rose and passed, like a streaming of vapour, in through the little window from over which the holy text had been torn away. But what happened thereafter within the house, Tamozo never knew. The sun was high before he ventured again to approach his master's dwelling and to knock upon the sliding doors. For the first time in years, he obtained no response, and the silence made him afraid. Repeatedly he called and received no answer. Then aided by Mine, he succeeded in effecting an entrance and making his way alone to his master's sleeping room where he called again in vain. He rolled back the rumbling shutters to admit the light, but still within the house there was no stir. At last he dared to lift a corner of the mosquito netting, but no sooner had he looked beneath it that he fled from the house with a cry of horror. Shinzaburo was dead, hideously dead, and his face was the face of a man who had died in the utmost agony of fear and lying beside him in the bed were the bones of a woman, and the bones of her arms and the bones of her hands clung fast around his neck. Yusai the fortune teller went to view the corpse at the prayer of the faithless Tomozo. The old man was terrified and astonished at the spectacle, but looked about him with a keen eye. He soon perceived that the Ofuda had been taken from the little window at the back of the house, and on searching the body of Shinzaburo, he discovered that the golden mamori had been taken from its wrapping. He suspected Tomozo of the theft, 
but the whole occurrence was so very extraordinary that he thought it prudent to consult with the priest Ryoseki before taking further action. Therefore, after having made a careful examination of the premises, he betook himself to the temple of Shinbaizunin, as quickly as his aged limbs could bear him. Ryoseki, without waiting to hear the purpose of the old man's visit, at once invited him into a private apartment. You know that you are always welcome here, said Ryoseki. Please seat yourself at ease. Well, I am sorry to tell you that Hagiwara-sama is dead. Yusai wonderingly exclaimed, Yes, he is dead, but how did you learn of it? The priest responded, Hagiwara-sama was suffering from the results of an evil karma, and his attendant was a bad man. What happened to Hagiwara-sama was unavoidable. His destiny had been determined from a time long before his birth. It was better for you not to let your mind be troubled by this event. Yusai replied, saying, I have heard that a priest of pure life may gain power to see into the future for a hundred years, but truly this is the first time in my existence that I have had proof of such power. Still, there is another matter about which I am very anxious. You mean, interrupted Ryosuke, the stealing of the holy Mamori? But you must not give yourself any concern about that. The image has been buried in a field, and it will be found there and returned to me during the eighth month of the coming year so please do not be anxious about it. Yusai astonished wondered how the priest could know such things. And so the priest answered gravely, Never mind how I happen to know them. I now want to speak to you about Hagiwara's funeral. The house of Hagiwara has its own family cemetery, of course, but to bury him there would not be proper. He must be buried beside Suyu, for his karma relation to her was a deep one, and it is but right that you should erect a tomb for him at your own cost because you have been indebted to him for many favors. Thus it came to pass that Shinzaburo was buried beside Suyu, in the cemetery of Shin Baizuin, in Yanaka no Sasaki. And thus ends the tale of the Peony Lantern. First of all, the language is beautiful because this story was translated over, gosh, over a hundred years ago. So the, the language used is, in some places, was quite, quite gorgeous. We don't we don't talk like that so much anymore. So it's it's nice to hear some of the you know the older language used. Maybe a little bit more um, grandiose. Maybe the word I'm thinking of grandiose the right word. I think so. Mm -hmm. hmm. And oh, tragic and sad and interesting that their fates were aligned so much and that affected so much of the story and also the servants oh the servants being the catalyst for Hagiwara-sama to die but it seemed according to the priest that he was going to die anyway that the efforts he was doing were pretty much in vain it's odd that if he knew he was ultimately gonna die why the priest postponed what was going to happen like he could have just said can't help you sorry but he still made an attempt, even though he knew it would not do anything. Maybe, yeah, maybe because once he realized that um, that she was a ghost, was it Ijiwara-sama? So her name was Suyu. Because also Suyu is rainy season or the um, thing you dip, dip your soba in. So to hear Suyu as a name was kind of interesting. I would love to, love to see her kanji, like to see what the kanji was for her name. Yeah. Um, I might have to see if we can find that book in the library. Not your library, but a, a library. <laughs> really sad. It, it's an interesting ghost story in that it doesn't seem so malicious. Like usually ghosts may have like revenge or ill will, but it's a love story in a way, which is even more tragic because, you know, if, if he had not realized that Suyu was a ghost, then he could have potentially past happy i mean he yeah. was going to die anyway so he wouldn't have died in 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 terror and i i wonder if because they, apparently they had gone through several lives of this if that maybe in a future life it would end better or if the same thing would happen again i don't know um about like karma and changing fate in as far as like in mm. in uh this japanese religion that i'm I'm assuming this is, is this is this Shinto or Bud maybe Buddhism. Buddhism, yeah. So I, I I I hope for their sake, but I wonder if it's the same pattern would repeat itself again, or if this finally ended that 
lifetime of the, the tragedies that they had. Mm. So I'm, I'm interested about hope, that. Though. Yeah. So it's instead of being like more scary, it's more just sad, I think. Tragic, very tragic. Tragic. Also, I don't know. You get very mixed signals from Suyu as a ghost. The whole the whole time she's visiting, she's happy, and then she can't visit him for a while, and she just wants to see him one more time. But in that final visit, she decides to kill him instead of loving him one last time. Or did she approach and he realized that she he could see her because before he couldn't tell he couldn't see her as a ghost. Also true. And this yes. time. To see a ghost coming up, he maybe died from fright, maybe. So she was trying to perhaps like, oh, I'm here now. We can be together. And why did you shut me out? Why are you so cruel? And he's like, oh, my God, she's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> like the, 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 the veil had been lifted and he could or the mosquito net had been lifted and he could see that she was skeletal, I'm assuming. And, though, and then in his horror, she her anger overtakes her. You think and so? You think ultimately kills him? Do you you think so? Like you think that she actually killed him, or, or just he? Because I, I was thinking more he like died from fright. Like he was he was already like he was going to die in twenty days anyway. He was his end was coming. That the the dead had already affected him and taken his life force, and that this last visit of seeing her as she really was finally just made his heart go up. Oh, that's it. I'm done. It's possible. I'm just thinking back to when it says they found him with the skeleton's hands around his neck. It gives Was the it implication. Hands or arms. It says, and the bones of the arms and the bones of the hands clung fast about his neck. So it could have been like. So it, like this. it could have been a loving embrace, and he died of fright, like you said. But there is also the possible of interpreting it as she choked him in anger, especially like you said, if he saw her as a ghost. And maybe rejected her that final night. Mm. So it could go either way. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that, 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 the in anger part changes the story for me because I guess I was going from thinking of it this way. So I wonder if we if we looked at it in the original Japanese and saw the translation from today, how it would end. Because this is this is Lefkadia Hearn's translation, and it could be the way he's written it in the older English. <laughs> True. And he adapted it based off of the the Kabuki theater version he saw it. So it would be interesting to see on stage to see how they end that particular scene. Oh yeah. So that's this is actually a Kabuki. And the one that it has various different versions, but the one that he translated was based off the Kabuki performance. Oh, I wonder if we could go see that because I've seen some um, Kabuki shows and really fascinating, really interesting. They are I, I really enjoy good. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we should we we should make a we should make a, a, a Tokyo a Tokyo excursion if we can find that coming. I think Kabuki's are opened back up again in June, I believe. Mm -hmm. Really glad you found that story. I'm still like I'm I'm really interested now to go and and see the see if we can find different a more modern translation. I'm really interested in finding that because I mean the language on this this translation is just it, it really is beautiful. Yeah. Elegant. Elegant. That's that's the word I was more that's looking for. <laughs> so I'm glad you found this. Thank you. I'm thank you for you sharing it. And thank you for reading it. That was a long, long passage. And you did an excellent job. So what's karizama deshita? Thank you. Thank you. So, Heather, I'm ready for your poem. Did you pick one that's themed for today? Or something completely random? I am themed for today and I stayed with the theme. So I looked up peony poems and I found a plethora of peony poems. I'm surprised you came across so many so easily. I know you've looked before for themed poems and come up empty. Interestingly enough, and I am including a link for this website, I found a florist. Um, what's it called? Botanist. Place where you buy plants. Garden center. I found a Peony Garden Center in America, actually. Oh, okay. They they grow peonies. Anyway, I'm including the link for the website. So in case if you are in America and you have an interest in peonies, there's a place that this is their specialty. They it looks like they only sell peonies. But on their website, they have a lot of peony poems. And the one I picked is not from their website, but I was really 
interested in the fact that a lot of their poems came from Busan. So it looks like Busan wrote a little bit about peony poems. <laughs> he wrote a little bit about okay. peonies and Japanese poetry. And I went on a little hunt and I found one that I, I liked. I mean, I, I, I like quite many of them that was on the website. I like, I like quite a lot that were on the website. But this one I found, I don't know, it just it somehow spoke to me a little bit. Um, and I wanted to tell you a little bit. We've talked about Busan before, but I wanted to do a little different. And instead of talking about the poet, I'm going to talk about peonies in Japanese culture. I was going to ask you about that. I saw the link you put up to something called Hana Kotoba. So I'm wondering what that is as well. I'm just going to ask you, what do you think Hana Kotoba stands for? Well, I would guess Kotoba words and Hana flowers. So yeah. flower words. Yeah. But I mean... Does that help me? Not really. So <laughs> please enlighten me. It's like the language of flowers. So hanakotaba is like okay. flower words. Yeah. So in other words, language of flowers. So words to describe flowers or the meaning of certain flowers? That one, the meaning of certain flowers. Okay. So in, I know in, I believe in, in English culture is English or British? I mean, British culture. Is that the right one? Yeah. So in, in, I know in British culture, there were historically meanings attached to flowers. And I think that um, they came over, I believe, in America. I think that that language kind of came over as well. And I think that was influenced by other cultures that came into America, too, from my knowledge mm. and understanding. But Japan also had a meaning of flowers. Now, this is something I pulled from Wikipedia, which means I will need to look further into the source, but according to this article, I found peonies mean bravery. Interesting that they mean bravery when you try to apply that to the story we told. Because oh. I wouldn't, I would try and think how, because obviously the peony is not an actual peony, it's a peony lantern held by the maidservant. So I'm trying to think if there is any bravery symbolism to that character, thinking back to the story now. Well, interestingly enough, going back to the not green garden, going back to the garden website, they gave a little information about peonies as well. They are in when they're depicted in, in art or when they're shown in art, they mm. are to they they represent like wealth and status so they also can be used like a as in the, the secondary meaning or the metaphor um, they can be used as a metaphor for female beauty and okay. it could be a stand-in for like female for beauty but sometimes they're just used as the flower itself it really just depends on how the poet wanted to use this they could have used it as a second as a deeper meaning or they could have used it as a flower so perhaps for the story because suyu was uh, of, of high status that could be why she did have that peony lantern because it was it was showing her and that's how the servant would have also known like seeing those peonies on the lantern yeah. oh okay yeah she's I think he heard her speak, but then also seeing that lantern would have probably indicated that she was of higher stature. Okay, cool. Thank you all. You're welcome. So I I did not, when I first started encountering peony poems, I this is like the first thing I pulled up was this website. And we're also, we're not getting any compensation from them. I just thought it was a really interesting site. So sharing with you guys, because, you know, I do, I, I do love flowers. I'm not very good at flowers, but I do enjoy them. So if you're interested, you can take a look and, um, Thank you so much to this um, this uh, this garden center that put this information out there. I really appreciate it. I think it's amazing. And it really ties into our story, I think, which is surprising because it gave us some information of why there might have been the peony lantern and why that lantern was important in the story. At least maybe that's kind of what I was thinking. So that is a little bit about peonies. And I think... I'm really interested to touch back on them again. So I mean, we've, we've looked at Sakura, now we've seen peonies, and we'll have to see what other flowers um, are. I think camellias are often depicted in Japanese art. So we'll have to do some exploring to see what other flowers are and what other symbolisms we can find from those. So with that out of the way, are you ready for the poem? I am indeed. 
And you've got your pencil and paper ready? Do I need it if it's on one note now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so are you ready to go, Thomas? Are you ready for the poem? Yes, I'm definitely ready for the poem. Okay, good. So you're all comfortable and all settled in. Okay. Otan chirite. Uchi kasanarinu. Nisanhen. So it's obviously a peony poem. You did start with botan. Um, chirite is a verb, but I'm not sure what the verb means. Next line, uchi, if I'm remembering the correct uchi, it's like outside. Kasinari nu, I'm going to assume, therefore, is another verb as associated with the outside, so I'm not sure. But then nisan hen, you have two, three, and hen, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking with it being flowers, some, I'm trying to think flowers associated with numbers, maybe the petals of the flower, like two, three petals, but the verbs in question for the first and second line, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, chilite and kasanarinu, I have not come across yet. Excellent. You, you got quite a bit, um, because there, yeah, there's some Was I right with the petals? You are right with the petals oh. because I'm so that's the kanji for petal. So what I did, I I worked on my translation for this poem as well, which meant I used a Japanese dictionary. My preferred one is uh, jisho.org. It's really good. Hen. We're going to start the very very end. Uh, very but the very last one thing. Hen. So if you look, I actually got the kanji for this as well. This hen is a counter for things like petals or scraps or fragments. So parts of something or leftovers of something, which so petals would be a part of the flower itself. So you were right with the the amount. So Nisan Hen is what I translated from uh, using Jisho is 23 petals. So I, I don't know why they said 23 petals. I don't think it means exactly 23 petals unless there are 23 petals in a peony, which I have never counted before. So I think from one of the translation, it means just lots of petals. So it's it's indicating to you that they're, the petals are now off of the flower. Japanese peonies have five petals. Ooh. There you go. Yay. I, I love that we're, we're touching into botany again. This is great. <laughs> yeah, we, we've come back to botany again. So yeah, with them having only five petals. Oh, but then that means Nissan. the two and three would make two sense. And Nissan two and three make five. Wow. <laughs> so that would make, that does make sense. And he split it into two and three. So it would fit the five syllables needed. Oh, I love that. Yeah, you're right. Because ni san hen. Ni, ni san hen. Because um, san hen, um, the n is a syllable by itself. There we go. We figured it out. Oh, exploring. Okay. So we got the last line. So let's go back to the front because you got botan. So we both have learned the word for peony is botan. And chirite is scattered. So scattered peonies. The next line, now this one's fun. I, tra I, I put just the phrase itself into jisho, which is sometimes, sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. This time I got a little bit of information from it, which is the word kasanari. So kasanari means like overlapping, stacking, piling up. And uchi, this is interesting because this kanji by itself is kind of overlapping. So this, this, this phrase means in a way, because I think some of it is not really pulling up by itself in in the in the dictionary so i think it might have a little bit different meaning but what i was able to kind of tell was that it was overlapping like stacking so my basic literal translation that i was able to pull so in english it's scattered peonies stacking together five petals okay now the translation i got from the website the peony flowers scattered and accumulated a few of the petals. So they both have a similar meaning. Your translation, did how did you translate the last line again? Well, originally- Two, three petals. I put two, three petals, but then I changed- Would it you change that now? To, yeah. I, I changed it to five, yeah, because I was like, oh, I like you, you're you're clever. I will, I will take your <laughs> translation. So like five petals. So from 
what I was able to like, it's a visual, like, like I was, I would assume he's walking along the garden and he sees it's kind of, I guess, like the, the flower has bloomed and now the petals have fallen off and they've stacked together like on the ground, essentially just the peonies themselves like stacked together. Now the other one is like scattered. So I'm essentially having that image of the peony no longer in bloom has finished its cycle and now the, the petals are scattered are stacked on the ground i'm getting the imagery of like in the autumn when you rake together all the big piles of leaves but instead it's like a pile of peony petals that have blown together after the flowers have finished their bloom because as well for me I reading this one, it gives the impression that it's a single peony flower. For me, the idea of the peony flower scattered gives me an image of lots of peony flowers scattered around. Ooh. And each one of those is dropping their petals, which leads to the accumulation because you would have a lot more than the five petals. Hmm. So in my mind, it's a much bigger gathering of petals as opposed to this translation, which is just a gathering from a single flower. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I like the way you're, you're thinking about it, especially because you would, that would make more like that stacking because you have like the different and also why maybe that last line is not giving you like the exact counting. It's to show you that there are, especially the way he wrote it, maybe that was indicating that there were so many different ones and you can't, you know, sit there and count individual peony flowers or peony petals. Very true. I mean, unless that's a, that's a thing you want to do. But so as far as um, any other meaning behind it, because we've got that, just looking at it simply, it's just sounding like it's describing, it's describing a scene. Do you think that Busan had another, another layer involved in that? Or do you think he was just looking at the scattered peony petals and just reporting like oh there are scattered peony petals here see this is where inter poetry interpretation for me i can get a little lost in it because for example your interpretation can be it could make sense to you however in the cultural context it could be lost that goes back to that samurai poem i thought of but it also as an example, goes back to the basho and the frog jumping in the water. Mm. I was talking to someone at work about this, and she was saying she had a teacher once who interpreted it as God is coming and destroying things that were pristine. So he's showing that you can have a beautiful scene and then God will come and destroy it, which is what the ripples on the water are, Ooh. which you could potentially see as a good interpretation. However... That's a very Christian interpretation. And obviously in Japan, it wouldn't have been written from a Christian point of view. If it had a religious significance, it would have been Shinto or Buddhism, which would have had a multiple of gods. An interpretation based on your cultural and religious background can make sense, but might necessarily not fit with the context of the poem due to its own pers personal cultural origins. However, going back to this poem... I honestly, I'm not sure that you could have the interpretation of a lot of the time when people say like leaves are falling or petals are falling, it symbolizes death perhaps. Mm -hmm. And the building up of them is showing you like how many people have died in war and things like that. Or he could literally have just been walking through the peony garden in Ueno Park one day and thought to compose this lovely poem. You can't be too sure. <laughs> Unless we do have some annotations also by him telling us what it meant. Interesting that you bring that up because oh. there was a poet that we re we read, oh gosh, last year, and we found his poem in a book, but it was a it was his journal. So he had written in the journal. So it wasn't actually a specific poem. They had pulled out that portion, but it was a whole full journal entry. So for this one, I'm wondering if there's a, it's part of a journal entry itself, or if it's just a, a standalone poem that he wrote maybe for a contest or as part of a longer form poem. So it might be interesting yeah. to see if we could find the journal, if it came from a journal or where this poem actually came from, because I, I was able to get it from a website, which I'll include the link 
in the show notes. So you can go there and look as well. Some great place for poetry. So I wonder if we can hunt that down. I feel like we need to study Busan at some point. So we need to have a, a show about him and look into a bit of his life because we've touched on him before, but I think he's another one of those major um, poets that we should look at at some point. So I, I for, from my perspective, I have a tendency to think of poetry as just describing a scene. And sometimes that that deeper meaning I, I don't always pick that up on first reading or multiple readings, and eventually I might come across it, but sometimes I just don't. That's just, you know, I like des describing things, you know, as you see them. So it could be, but the thing is with, with like flowers, with peonies, I believe, and I know with my roses, for example, is the, there is a, a finite lifespan for that bloom so the petals will fall off and then another flower will come and take its place so like during the course of the summer you know you would have the peonies blooming and the petals falling and i would assume there would be you know multiple succession of blooms um so i don't know if it you know it could mean if we if we he was looking at the peony as a symbol of bravery and maybe it could be you know, bravery past or bravery finished or not brave enough, or yeah. it could just be like, oh, I'm walking in the garden and there's, oh, there's peonies here. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like to me, it didn't feel like sad or like death. It was kind of beautiful because I know during the spring, when we walk and we see the, the cherry blossom petals scattered on the sidewalks and in the water, it's quite lovely to see those and it even after the flower has bloomed to look at the petals and to see them on the ground kind of gives a nice visual imagery as well so mm. it it still dresses up the atmosphere even after the flower is finished there's still like a purple purpose or usefulness to the petals themselves gives the beauty the atmosphere it eventually turns into like they'll break down and turn into soil increase the the um, nutrients in the soil as well. So it's, there's still that utility afterwards. And just because the flower itself is now finished doesn't mean that it's still not useful. Now I've done a little bit of quick research. <gasps> I love a research. On this poem. There was a manuscript once written known as Peaches and Plums. Ooh. Now Peaches and Plums was written as like different sequences of poems between Busan and another poet. Now, I'm not sure after this quick reading that I've just done who the other poet was. However, his peony poem comes from this Peaches and Plums sequence. <gasps> and the translation, so a new translation I've quickly found in this book is peony petals scatter and pile up two, maybe three. And that is possibly a like the the two maybe three might be a stylistic thing that he used to use in different poems as he has a similar poem where he does a similar thing with numbers where he says five or six riders gallop in a different poem. So it might have been a stylistic choice of his for when he needed to use numbers in poems. Ah, so. Instead of saying a lot, he's like, ah, two, maybe three. Oh, I love that. Yeah, there you go. A quick search for you. It looks like it was written for a poetry sequence, which eventually became known as Peaches and Plums. And guess what you just suggested for a new poetry segment? Yay, thank you so much. <laughs> gonna You're have to welcome. Going to have to look that one up. And see, that's what I, I love, like finding these poems and sharing them with you because we both think and we both look and oh it's just so cool and now i'm so happy but yeah don't worry i will i will add this little bit that i found into the show notes for you and i'll also reference the book that i found it in for people who are interested no that was a really interesting poem and i'm glad that i managed to find where it is for mm -hmm. you yes, well where you. it was originally for you yeah i was so i was so driven to translate it myself that i i spent a lot of time i actually spent a little time on the translation because i was super excited so especially because i had the kanji available to me so it's easier to work on the translations once you have the kanji so i'm so glad thank you so much 
You're welcome. And I will include my translation uh, in the notes as well. Thank you very much. So that is my poem for today, unless you have anything else to add. I have nothing else. Um, so I guess it's time to sign off. So everyone, thank you again for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in the show notes, head on over to japanarchivespodcast.com. You can find that there as well as all our growing database on Japanese history. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook over at Japan Archives. And if you want to see a few of the places that I visit while I'm exploring Japan, you can follow my Instagram, which is nexus underscore travels. And that's N-E-X-U-S underscore travels. But yeah, that's everything for me, unless, well, do we want to tell them what we're doing next week, Heather? Next week, we are going to dive back into culinary history with sushi. Is this going to be a introduction to sushi then? Because I'm assuming there'll be a long history of sushi. I think perhaps that is to be determined. As we, as we take a look into sushi, I know some things about it, but there are some other things I need to explore. So we'll let you know next week. All right, then. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for tuning in this week. And we will speak to you next Friday. Mata ne. Mata ne.